Well, we've been talking throughout the summer about how to live an amazing life. Not a normal life, not an average life, but an amazing life. And amazing in the sense that God is working on us and transforming us into the person he truly created us to be. You know, we talk about being more like Jesus. You know, the goal of the Christian life, let's be more like Jesus. But that's kind of abstract. Okay, what's Jesus like? And that's why the Apostle Paul gave us that wonderful scripture in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, that he calls the fruit of the Spirit. They are really nine character qualities that Jesus exemplified. And if you want to be more like Jesus... You need to develop these nine qualities in your life and put them all together and they add up to an amazing life. So far we've talked about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And this morning I want to kind of draw it all to a close by talking about the last two, gentleness and self-control. Now, when I think about gentleness, I struggle to define it. I know it when I see it. <laughs> but the only way I know to define gentleness is to treat someone gently. See, and I'm defining the word by using the same word. So as, I, as I've tried to do with each of these fruit of the Spirit, we want to look at them kind of in the biblical context, how they're used in Scripture. And I think a way to think about gentleness is to add to it the idea of humility. The gentleness and humility go hand in hand with each other. A humble person tends to relate to other people treat other people, respond to other people gently, with gentleness. Let me give you an example. Uh, back in Detroit in the 1930s, three young men got on a bus, and they were looking for trouble. And they noticed in the back of the bus there was some guy sitting there all alone. And so they made their way to the back of the bus, and they decided to pick a fight with this guy. So they started insulting him, making fun of him, kind of pushing and poking at him. He wouldn't respond. They came to the man's stop. He, he stood up, looked at these three young men, reached into his pocket, pulled out a business card, and handed it to one of them, and turned and walked off the bus. The card simply read, Joe Lewis, boxer. <laughs> yeah. They were trying to pick a fight with the future heavyweight champion of the world. <laughs> and he could have taught them a lesson. <laughs> he could have responded in kind. But instead, he decided to respond with humble gentleness. And that story illustrates an important thing to know about humility. That humility, gentleness, they don't represent a lack of power, but power under control. 
That's where the self-control part of it comes in. You know, when, when we hear uh, humble, humility, uh, meekness, our, we tend to associate those almost negatively. That, well, that's a person who's weak. That's a person who lacks self-confidence. That's a person who can't stand up for themselves. But that's not true at all. Humility is not weakness. In fact, it takes more strength to exhibit humility than it does arrogance. Because it takes more strength to have power and not use it than it does to have power and use it against others. Sometimes people want to equate humility with humiliation. <laughs> that a humble person allows himself to be humiliated. But I like what uh, Pat Williams, he's the senior vice president of the Orlando Magic basketball team. And he had this to say when he was comparing humility and humiliation. A humiliated person feels weak and enslaved. A humble person feels strong to serve others. A humiliated person feels helpless and hopeless. A humble person feels helpful and hopeful. A humiliated person feels powerless and dishonored. A humble person feels empowered and dignified. Humiliation tears down. Humility builds up. Humiliation is a tragedy. Humility is a choice. That's pretty good for the executive of a basketball team. I don't know a pastor that could say it better than that. But the trouble with what, what I call humble gentleness and self-control is that they both go against our human nature. Humility is not a natural quality that most of us possess. Self-control is not a quality that most people possess. Our human nature teaches us to put ourselves out there, to promote ourselves, to take advantage of every opportunity to rise above other people. I remember when I was growing up, I think I was in high school, and they, a book came out that became a number one bestseller. And the name of the book was Looking Out for Number One. And number one was me. It was all about how can I lift myself up, elevate myself, promote myself. How can I get the most out of this life for me? And people bought it by the millions because that feeds our natural inclination. That's why gentleness, humility, and self-control are fruit of the Spirit. You don't have them, at least not uh, as much as you need to. And it's only through the working of the Spirit in our life that we can develop these qualities more fully. 
I like what Paul said in Romans 7, 15. He says, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Can you identify with that? I sure can. I want to be a humble person. I want to treat people with gentleness. I want to exercise self-control in my life. But many times I don't. I need God to do that work within me. And then there's the example of Jesus. In 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23, Peter shows the humble gentleness and self-control of Jesus. He said, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And that last statement is really the key to living your life with humble gentleness. To entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. It's hard when someone is in some way demeaning you or disrespecting you or mistreating you to not respond in kind. It took tremendous restraint for Joe Lewis to sit there and take that stuff from those three guys when he could have just stood up and knocked them out. And it must have taken tremendous restraint for Jesus. I mean, this is the Son of God. This is the one who the night before in the garden when Peter whips out his sword and says, I'll defend you, Lord. And Jesus said, put that away. If I wanted to, I could call down 10,000 angels. And they'd just wipe them all out. But he didn't call 10,000 angels. He went to the cross. He suffered their abuse He suffered the pain of the cross. Not because he had to, but because he chose to. Remember, humility is a choice. That's what Pat Williams said. He chose to be humble. He chose to respond with gentleness. He's hanging there dying on the cross, and he looks at the one I, I'm pretty sure. I can't prove this. It's my own idea. But I'm pretty sure that when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, that he was looking at the one who put the nails in his hands and feet. Just looking straight at him. Made eye contact with him. And said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is humble gentleness. That is self-control. Because he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Now, what does that mean? What that means is that you leave it to God to do the judging. There is one judge, and it is not me, nor is it any of you. So when I am being mistreated, dishonored, disrespected, insulted, put down, demeaned, all those things that people can do that hurt us, in this world. My natural inclination is strike back. Speak back. 
lash out. Or, like Jesus, I can choose to entrust myself to the one who judges justly, knowing that someday they have to stand before God and they have to answer for that. And he will take care of it. Someday the Bible says God is going to make all that is wrong right. And so I entrust judgment to him rather than taking it into my own hands. You know, the story about Joe Lewis is in great contrast to the story of another boxer. If, if Joe Lewis exemplified humble gentleness... Can you think of another famous fighter who might be at the other end of the scale? <laughs> I am the greatest! <laughs> Muhammad Ali. Now, Mike Tyson's in the camp, too. But, but Muhammad Ali, boy, his trademark was to be arrogant and brash and boastful. And if anybody... Uh, talked trash to him, he gave it back double. Um, and you wonder, how could anybody live with this guy? <laughs> I mean, if you knew somebody like that, would you spend a lot of time around that person? Or would you kind of walk, yeah, I'm avoiding that. But here, they interviewed Ali one time, and they, they kind of wanted to find, is this you? <laughs> is this really the person you are? And this is what he said. He said, at home, I'm a nice guy, but I don't want the world to know. Humble people I found don't go very far. Well, with all due respect to Muhammad Ali, the Lord says otherwise. In James 4.10, it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. First Peter 5, 6 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And to illustrate what he meant, Jesus talked about uh, the ancient customs of the Jewish people. When a person threw a dinner party, the seating order was very important. The, the host of the party would be like the head of the table. And then right next to him would be the person deemed the most important guest. And then the second most important guest. And then the third most important guest. So if you were the guy sitting back here, he's probably saying, who's that? <laughs> Did you invite this guy? I don't, I don't even know who this guy is. I mean, it's the least important seat at the table. And Jesus was trying to illustrate the power of humility. And he said, so when you show up to a dinner party, don't immediately walk up here and assume, well, I'm the most important guest. I mean, that's, that's what they'd want to do. Everybody tried to get their way to the front of the table. You go up and sit down in that most important guest slot. And you're feeling good about yourself. And then the host comes along and says, excuse me, your seat's down here. 
man, how low are you going to feel in? He said, wouldn't it be better if you show up at the dinner party and you sit in that seat, the least important seat? And then the host is going to look down there and go, oh, no, 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 no. Come, my friend, you, you need to be up here. You're much more important than that. See, that's, that's what Jesus is saying. If, if in life we promote ourselves, we try to put ourselves in high positions, we exalt ourselves, what's going to happen? The world is going to humble us and put us back. But he said if we humble ourselves and if we treat other people with humble gentleness, then God will exalt us. And when we get to heaven and we sit at God's table, there is no lesser seat. Every seat at the table is most important guest. You know, this world may not care a bit about me. <laughs> I, this world may not want to uh, lift me up in any way. But that's okay. I'm going to let God do that. Who would you rather exalt you? People or God? I'll take his any day. But he can only exalt me if I've humbled myself before him. You can't exalt somebody that's exalted themselves. You can only take them down. Here's a good example. Pastor John Ortberg told a wonderful story about uh, a Fortune 500 CEO. He and his wife were going on a trip in their luxury car, and they pull into a gas station, and he's putting some gas in the car, and he notices his wife has gone inside to get something, and she's having an, an extended conversation with the gas station employee. And when she comes back out, he said, uh, what, well, what was that all about? And she said, as it turns out, I went to high school with that guy. And we used to date for a while. <laughs> and so they get in the car and they're driving off and, and the man, you know, fixes his tie and says, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking you sure are glad that you married a Fortune 500 CEO and not some gas station attendant. She smiled and looked at him and said, no. What I was thinking is, if I had married him, he would be a Fortune 500 CEO <laughs> and you would be a gas station attendant. <laughs> <laughs> He exalted himself, so she had nothing to do but, but put him down to humble him. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We all need more of them the fruit of the Spirit. And we can't get any of them on our own. Those are the qualities of Christ. 
Those are the things that the Spirit wants to do in our life so that we can be more like Christ. And when a person embodies those qualities, then they truly can live an amazing life. It may not be amazing in the eyes of the world. The world may not even notice. But God is up in heaven looking down and waiting the time that he can say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let us pray. God, I am so grateful that you inspired Paul to write this scripture, the fruit of the Spirit. You don't want us to be like Jesus in the abstract. You gave us concrete things that we can know and do to become more like you. Lord, I pray that every day your spirit would work on us. We're all uh, construction projects. Continue to work on us, to work in us, to work through us, and sometimes even in spite of us to do your good work and to develop these qualities in us. For we ask it all in your precious name. Amen. The reason a lot of people struggle with the decision to receive Christ as their Savior is because it requires humility. If you think you can make it on your own, if you feel self-confident that you can stand before God at the end of your days and say, I lived a good life, you need to reward me. Then you don't feel the need for Christ. You won't ever come to Christ. But if at some point in your life you are humbled to the point that you realize, I can't do this on my own. I can't be good enough. I can't... Uh, do enough good in order to receive God's eternal blessing. I need Christ to do it for me. If you're willing to humble yourself, then he will exalt you on that day when you leave this world behind. And there may be someone here this morning that's, that's willing to do that, to humble themselves and say, okay, God, you win. <laughs> I need you. I know I need you. And I need you now. I can't wait another day. Then I'm, I'm going to invite you to come. We're going to do a, a song of invitation here. And as we're singing this song, if, if God so leads, I'm going to invite you to come up. Let me pray with you. Let me lead you in what we call a, a confession of faith that simply says, I believe in Jesus and receive him as my Lord and Savior. We can arrange for your baptism and set you on that path of allowing the Holy Spirit to build those fruit in you. Let's stand together. We're going to sing hymn number 266, verses 1 and 2.
Say. 